Alright legends, welcome back dude to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, etc dude, etc. Here today to discuss some cricket while we still bloody can, while the summer of cricket slips through our greedy little fingers, here to talk about the first test between Australia and the West Indies. There is a genuine chance that this podcast goes longer than the match itself, but regardless, I'm here for it. Because I reckon the way things are going, we've got the Big Bash final Wednesday, and then maybe a gentleman's two business days of test cricket, and then that's that, okay? That's that. I know there is one-day internationals and international T20 matches scheduled for the weeks to come. I wish the boys the best in their bright-coloured adventures, but I don't really recognise those formats and, I ha- formats, and I haven't for quite some time. So here we go, talking about the test match. Also, before I forget, I'm announcing uh, my Melbourne Comedy Festival and Sydney Comedy Festival dates on Thursday. So look out for those. But we're not here to talk about the arts, okay? I'm not here to, you know, dissect whatever the fuck Dave Chappelle was talking about on Netflix the other day. Does he still hate trans people? It, it seems like, yeah, probably. But whatever, dude, because I'm here to talk about cricket, a game that's for all. And here, <laughs> and here we come. So Australia played the West Indies. It kicks off last Wednesday which has got to be maybe the worst scheduling decision in the history of not only Australian cricket, but live sport itself. To think this thing would even go to day four is pretty ambitious. Even at Adelaide, which is traditionally the flattest, most friendly batting track this great nation has to offer. But we get there on the Wednesday. We don't see Friday lunchtime. Like who the fuck thought that was a good idea? I can't wrap my head around that. Day five should never be scheduled for a weekend day or like a a relevant day of the week. Day five is your Mondays, your Tuesdays. No one with a full-time job has ever been to day five of a test match, okay? It's for like freaking pensioners and autistic people to like have somewhere to go and like sit in the fresh air without the hoopla of days one through three. So the scheduling is absolutely baffling. To not even make it to Saturday is just, it's unfortunate. Shout out to all the young families who had already bought tickets to Saturday thinking that's when we'll go because unfortunately on Thursday and Friday, dad's actually, he's out there making sure we have food to eat and water to drink, you know. Unfortunately, dad's out there on a Thursday and Friday ensuring our very survival and we thought then it might be easier if we just go on the Saturday when he's free but forget about that no time no time in Adelaide to get to the Saturday I think the game went for two and two days and one hour and do you know what it was a typical Adelaide raging green seamer wasn't it you know you go to Adelaide you go wouldn't want to lose the toss here lads hey the (laughs) freaking Oh, the the spicy, spicy Adelaide Oval pitch has reared its ugly head again. Dude, I can't believe the curator wasn't copying more shit for this. I'll get on that in a second. But if I'm Cam Green, if I'm up-and-coming prospect Cam Green, and I'm trying to solidify 
my spot in the team and they go, Greeny, you're batting four and we're at Adelaide this weekend. I'd be like, holy shit, dude. That's freaking lottery ticket stuff. You get your first crack at four against the West Indies at the Adelaide Oval. That is absolute high school sweetheart. She's coming around for Christmas. It's all happening type stuff. Like that's really sliding doors. This is it. This is your moment to just absolutely pound the West Indies into the core of the earth. You probably come out at a gentleman's two for 180. You've got a strip of the fucking Hume Highway dropped into the center of the Adelaide Oval. It's 34 degrees. Even though the Windies boys are from the freaking Caribbean, they're acting like they've never seen heat before. Their gold chains are weighing them down and it's time to cash in. But forget about all that because for some reason, it was not only the spiciest Adelaide deck I've ever seen, but it's like up and down bounce, so grassy, some balls not getting through to the keeper at all, some flying over the keeper's head. I mean, I'm not sure what the curator's done here. I think the big fella had tickets to the races on Saturday. It doesn't seem like the curator or anyone associated with the South Australian Cricket Association had any interest in watching cricket on the Saturday from what they've dished up here. So Australia wins the toss. We elect a bowl. And I reckon with that, with those three words coming out of Pat Cummins' mouth, we're going to bowl. I think Cricket Australia probably lost upwards of $12 million right there and then. So a lot of hospitality packages, a lot of boxes, a lot of families' weekends instantly destroyed, and that was the end of that. But never fear, because Craig Brathwaite is here. What have we done to deserve Brathwaite on our shores two summers in a row? Has the bloke ever looked good? Doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. So he comes out and... He's looking as shit as ever, really, but you sort of respect it. He kind of looks like Jack Sparrow at the start of Pirates of the Caribbean 1 as he leads this West Indies team to their their doom, okay? There's no hope. He's saluting on the boat as it just sort of crashes into the wharf, and he's handling himself like a gentleman, so you can't really knock the big fella. Kirk McKenzie batting for them. This kid hits the ball, and it looks pretty aesthetic. When he hits the ball through cover with his leg planted on on middle, just on the up through extra cover. Yeah, dude, I'm sexually attracted to that. When he just puts his hands through the ball and really his hands are the only thing doing what they should be doing, his, his legs and head aren't really that close to it, but he's just he just goes, whatever, my talent will just pape over these cracks and the ball goes to the boundary through extra cover. Yeah, dude, I'm sexually attracted to that sort of thing and I'm not afraid to say it, on this podcast. So it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. And they look pretty good. And I actually enjoyed watching a couple of their boys have a stick. They, they're all out for 180. Cummins and Hazelwood get four each. And their last wicket puts on 55. So they really should have been out for, for 120. But whatever, because the only storyline that I care about for this test match is that Steve Smith is opening the batting. This is fucking weird as hell, dude. Do you know what I mean? This is like EA Cricket 07, create your own team type stuff. This is backyard, I'm opening the batting, but I'm Steve Smith, whatever. We're making the rules. You know, one of the lads is Bradman. You've got to tell him Bradman's been dead for 30 years, but we're in the backyard and we're just having a bit of a laugh. So the West Indies have got 180 on the board. We've sent Steve Smith out to open the batting. 
probably second to Bradman. Like, I liked it. Like, I stopped what I was doing to watch Steve Smith open the batting. And then you sort of, after about six or seven balls, you're reminded that opening the batting is essentially still batting. So then it all becomes quite normal quite quickly, but it's still exciting. I'm still into it. And then Shamar Joseph, this kid comes on, first ball in test cricket, and just nicks off the the guy who's going to go down a second to Bradman. He's played test cricket for, I think he's played cricket full stop for two years. And it's his first ever test match. And he just gets out the greatest batsman of all time, second to Bradman, reminding us that cricket is dumb. Cricket is silly. You know what I mean? In what other sport can a bloke who picked up a ball for the first time two years ago dismiss one of the greatest of all time? It's kind of dumb, but it's also kind of fun. You know? It's silly, but it's fun. That's that really. Shamar Joseph, excuse me, guys. My voice is going. I don't want to come across as such a cricket tragic that Steve Smith's demise as opening batsman has caused me to become emotional. That's not it at all. Shamar Joseph's talent has definitely plucked at my heartstrings over the last week or so. He takes five wickets on debut. His first two wickets are Steve Smith and Manus Labashain, reminding us that the most important thing, not just in cricket, but all sports, is raw, unfiltered talent. Okay? Hard work is a communist lie, and this is a stark reminder of that. The bloke was chopping down trees, checking IDs at fucking Vodka Revs 18 months ago. And now he's absolutely just all over Steve Smith like a rash. So a reminder that if you're pursuing a goal and within sort of what, a year, a year and a bit, it hasn't really kicked off for you, quit. Okay. If you don't find immediate success, quit, drop your head and find something easier. Because there are blokes like Shamar Joseph knocking around who are They're less cricket players than they are vessels for the Lord above to express himself on the field. So Shamar Joseph's an absolute superstar. And it's just fucking cool to see a bloke like that operate. Kerry O'Keefe said, this this is how freaking cool Shamar Joseph is. Kerry O'Keefe used the word fresh on the broadcast. And he used it like it just came out of him. He, He used it like he'd never heard it before, but it just came out of him. Shamar Joseph drew it out of him with the way he was carrying himself on the field. Kerry goes, oh, he's just so fresh, you know? He was, he was going limp as he said it, as he, as he just remarked on how truly fresh Shamar Joseph is. And it's a weird optic because the West Indies suck, but they suck while wearing gold chains and knowing that they root much more than any of our players, which is a weird dynamic. Traditionally... The best players that will be the ones doing the most boot scooting on the weekends, courtesy of the extra status their achievements have afforded them. But not, not the case in this in this game. Australia, we're the number one team on the planet. We've got more of a dad vibe. We've got a lot of young fathers out there who got their 12 hours of sleep the night before. They're well hydrated. Marnus is the youngest one in the team. I guess no longer now that Cam Green is there, but Marnus... You know, I don't think he drinks. He's married with about 75 kids. And that's the sort of vibe we're bringing. The Windies boys, the chains are bouncing around. They've no doubt had a big circuit on the weekend in Adelaide. 
they're fresh as fuck. And that's something we're going to have to grapple with over the next couple of weeks. But anyway, oh, dude, what about this? Kemar Roach comes on in the second innings to open the bowling as well. And he looks old. I hate to trash Kemar, but he looks old. And I got to say, with the greatest respect to Kemar Roach, I mean, those things were barely getting down the other end, eh? Kemar Roach comes on and the first one double bounces through to the keeper at like 119 Ks an hour. And you go, oof. Giving the vibe of my like 58-year-old dad when he would let the first wanger out up at the nets and you just hear his shoulder click seven times. That was the vibe on Kemar Roach. I mean, the big fella, he took a couple of poles. So Wiley, Wiley stuff. I think Kemar Roach took a couple of poles and it reminded me of a Steve O'Keefe the night before where you just seen a really crafty older fella just sort of go about his work, making it happen regardless of his complete lack of athleticism. So good on Kemar. I'll never forget when he was like 21 and he just absolutely terrorized a 51-year-old Ricky Ponting. Blew his shoulder off, if I remember correctly. So tough to see Kemar like this, but I'll never forget the good times. And yeah, so what happens really in the in the game? We go on to get 280, and it's pretty bloody tricky out there. Cam Green played his 25th debut in a row. Good on him. He'll find his feet eventually. If we have to give him another 25 games, I'm more than willing to do that. And Travis Head comes out, and it's a really tough deck. And Travis Head gets 120 off 130 balls on a pitch where no one else could get it off the square because that's the sort of thing Travis Head does. I honestly think if it was like a flatty, an absolute belter, he probably nicks off. But Travis Head, dude, I've never seen a guy who bats this well on tough decks. He just takes these calculated risks where he goes, look, Travis Head, I'm trying to think of a cool analogy for this, but I can't really. But these decks where it's like one's got your name on it if you just sort of want to hang around, like I don't think it would be possible for Steve Smith or Kawaja or Manus to score 100 off 200 rocks on that Adelaide Oval pitch because something's going to happen. One's got your name on it eventually. Whereas Travis Head goes, here for a good time, not a long time. If it's too full, I'm swinging. If it's too short, I'm swinging. If it's on leg stump, that's disappearing through point, Okay. If it's outside leg stump, I'm sorry, babe. It's still going to have to disappear through point. Forever leg side of the ball. I don't know how he does it. Because you would never say he really backs away from the ball. But he's just forever leg side of the ball, Travis Head. And if for some ungodly reason, if physics themselves are twisted up and Travis Head for some reason finds himself offside of the ball, it just disappears into the upper decks over square legs. So... Just an unbelievable Travis Head innings. And I don't really know what else to say about it. It's just unbelievable. It's one of those things where, like, I guess if you just sort of back yourself, you get a bit more things go your way a little bit. But whatever, dude, it's just unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. I reckon Marnus and Smith are pretty sick of these decks. If we don't start rolling absolute flatties for Smudge, he's going to retire. We simply must get Smudge on a flatty ASAP. You can see he's cross. He's not enjoying himself out there at all. Smudge wants at least two, like, 180s a summer, okay? He has an appetite for this sort of thing. 
if you don't feed a man's appetite for what he desires, it could manifest itself in different ways. What if Smudge ends up with a sex addiction because he's not getting these big hundreds that quell his appetite? You know, what if he turns to drugs and alcohol? This man's vice is runs and we better feed him some quick or he's going to start twitching more than usual. Really tough deck to bat on. Again, not sure why the curator wasn't getting blasted for this dude. How much money is freaking Fox Cricket losing on this thing? How much money is Cricket Australia losing? (laughs) You know, Test Cricket's already a complete farce without putting the West Indies on a fucking absolute minefield in Adelaide of all places. I cannot believe the curator wasn't getting sprayed for this. And I've really enjoyed how like, all of a sudden now the curator's sort of up for grabs as well. You've got to criticize someone every game. Someone has to be criticized. Otherwise, what are we talking about? I love it when the curator gets a, gets a good spray because the reality is that that Adelaide deck was, it was a bit silly for mine. But Shamar Joseph takes five. He bows when he comes off. I can't speak for anyone else. I'm literally bawling my eyes out in the living room. I'm just seeing a generational talent get born. So we get 288, and we're 100 ahead. But the deal with this is we're 100 ahead, but within the context of the pitch, their batting lineup and our bowling lineup, the 100 runs we have accrued is pretty much the equivalent of 475. That's kind of the vibe on this from me. But you're also thinking if the Windies could get to 200 somehow... You know, we got this Steve Smith thing happening at the top of the order. He has failed in the first innings, so potential storyline there. Shamar Joseph, obviously you'd give him the new ball in the second innings now that you can tell that he's just an absolute freak. And you think maybe there's a bit on here. The Windies come out and they just start losing wickets at a legitimately comical rate. And they're batting positively. They were batting as though the lead was 300. Like, I think if they just fucking calm down for two seconds and just tried to bat like an hour, you know, you bat an hour, maybe you get to two for 50 or something. Do you know what I mean? At least we're talking about a genuine game of cricket being played here by 22 consenting adults. You get to two two for 50, that's a consensual game of cricket. I think they were four for one or four for none. I think Hazelwood had three for none. And they're batting positively, but in like a frivolous way. Like Kirk McKenzie would blast one through covers and you go, oh, ho, 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 ho. That is electric, you know? I have an erection when I see him hit cover drives, if that wasn't clear. But you're seeing Kirk McKenzie blast one through the covers at four for 12 and you think, oh, that's sexy, you know? Good positive cricket. Brendan Julian quips that, hey, they're not going to die without a fight. And you go, yeah, that's West Indies cricket. You know, get some Andy Roberts highlights on the fucking screen. Here we go. Brian Lara is in the commentary booth. I'm feeling something. It's a Calypso summer. And then he hits another one straight to cover and you go, that's got to be the dumbest fucking thing I've ever, ever, ever seen anyone do in my life. You know? How can you get caught at cover at four for 30? I'm sorry. I'm a third grade cricketer. And these are third grade views. If I got caught at cover at four for 30 in a game of third grade, I would honestly, that's straight to the car stuff. That's like 
turning the Mazda Metro on still fully padded up because I'm absolutely terrified of facing the head coach. I, I can't I can't believe what I was seeing. And they were playing these shots and you could tell it's like, wow, that was a great shot. But if he does that again, it's not going to work. You know? I'm sorry, Pakistan and the West Indies, but stop playing cover drives on the up at three for none on minefields, okay? Hitting a cover drive on the up, that's the sort of thing you do on 140 not out on an absolute road. So, (laughs) do you know what I mean? You can't just throw your hands at whatever you want, lads. I'm sorry. If I was the coach of the West Indies, I would have been... Oh, I would have lost my job for assaulting some of these blokes, eh? I'm, I just can't wrap my head around some of the decision-making. At this point, it all becomes a bit despondent. There's despair in the air. Michael Vaughan becomes absolutely hysterical on the broadcast. I love Michael Vaughan, by the way, if I haven't made that clear this summer. Vaughan just goes, oh, this is all just a bit sad, really. And he starts teeing off on the ICC. He says, this is what happens when the ICC don't let a nation play enough test cricket. And he starts going nuts on the ICC. He's completely despondent, all right? Someone get Vaughny a cup of tea. He's had enough. He's seen enough. Someone give him a hug. Get some more Andy Roberts highlights on the broadcast. The poor bloke needs to be nursed back to health after seeing the death of the game he loves so dearly. But yeah... Vaughn is hysterical. We win by 10 wickets. Thank God we had to bat again. That's all I'll say about that. Thank God we had to bat again. If we don't even have to come out for another stick, that's probably the death of Test Cricket right there and then. And again, I'm not sure how the curator isn't being hung in the town square for this deck. Do you know what I mean? What I can't wrap my head around... When people have a specific job and they can't do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like what I said to the bloke at Manly Kebabs in 2013. I said, mate, you're Manly Kebabs. One half of your fucking name is the word kebab. And yet the kebabs here are shit house. So what's that about? What's that about? And it's like with this guy, it's like, what's with these curators where it's like, they seem to can only produce two decks. Either the flattest, most placid track imaginable like timeless test stuff or absolute minefield get there before tea on day two if you want to see some cricket proper like dangerous stuff is there not like does the hose have one setting either completely off or power jet (laughs) can we get a sprinkler out there somewhere is it possible to get a sprinkler setting sent to the adelaide oval because this guy has just had the hose on power jet for three business days and we saw four hours of cricket. So, I don't know. We win by 10 wickets. For me, I know Vaughny was saying Test Cricket was dead when they were four for none, 100 odd behind. For me, the death of Test Cricket, and this was it, okay? As someone who doesn't understand the game on that level, just a guy trying his best at a bucket hat. For me, the death of Test Cricket was when Brett Lee was promoting his band's Adelaide gig on the Fox Cricket broadcast. When Australia was none for 15, none for 20, chasing 26. The West Indies have a deep point out, and Brett Lee is saying, everyone get to the Gov in Adelaide for 8pm. We'll be on at 8.30. That, for me, is probably the death of Test Cricket right there. 
when you've got Brett Lee listing the names of his fellow bandmates in a way to boost ticket sales to a gig that has obviously sold poorly. Okay, when he's when he's letting everyone know that Richard Chiqui is warming up the vocals on the Fox Cricket broadcast, that is the death of Test Cricket for me, really. Get down to the gov at 8.30. I also found out that Six and Out play a bigger venue than me in Adelaide, which was probably harder to swallow than the death of the game I love so much. So that was the end of that. The only other thing that happened of note was Uzi gets clipped up like ball before we win. He gets hit in the head by Shamar Joseph. He's okay. He's okay, which is fantastic. Um, You never want to see blokes get hit like that. It did look quite bad. And Uzi goes off. Nice little 11 not out. That probably helps the concussion just quietly. Hey, nice little 11 not out there, Uzi. Probably helps the old ringing in the ears. Hey, boost that average up a little bit more. 2023, top run score of the year. Nice little 11 not out. 40-odd in the first innings. 40-odd in the SCG test. It's not bad, you know. Things are ticking over. Not a lot of blokes have been getting runs, but, you know, ticking it over. Um, so, yeah. That was the other thing. Shamar Joseph didn't even open the bowling. I don't understand this because we just saw the same thing happen with Pakistan where Hassan Ali is opening the bowling, bowling backwards, bowling 117Ks an hour. I'm sorry. And then we got Amir Jamal coming on first change. Look, I don't want to freaking show my, what a complete traditional nerd I am. You know, Glenn Maxwell's, when I see Glenn Maxwell hit reverse freaking ramps for six, that's like butter chicken that's too spicy for me. I'm a traditional man. I like test cricket and I like it to be played the way it was played in 1920. Okay. But well, My understanding is that the best fast bowler in the team takes the new ball and the best batsman bat three and four. Right now, I'm playing in a game where Steve Smith is opening the batting and Shamar Joseph's coming on first change with Kemar Roach bowling underarms first over of the innings with a brand new pill. Like, this stuff doesn't make sense to me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that I don't understand it. I don't understand the thinking behind it. Even Pat Cummins coming on at first change. I'm like, what the bloody hell are you talking about? I know Hazelwood's unbelievable with the new ball and Stark pretty much has to bowl with the new ball. But for me, are you telling me Hazelwood wouldn't take a bucket load at first change? I got Paddy Cummins taking the new ball. He's a generational talent. It's going to go down. It's going to be freaking Dennis Lilly McGrath Cummins on the freaking podium for the three greatest Australian and potentially failing that Fast bowlers, regardless of nation, of all time. So I'm not sure about that, but whatever. When the game isn't this competitive, or I should say is so not competitive, these decisions don't really matter. Do you know what I mean? Should Amir Jamal have opened the bowling for Pakistan in the last series? I mean, probably, but at the end of the day, it was 3-0. So we move on from that. But yeah, the the last thing I'm into here is uh, Cam Green, double failure in the first test. Um, I know he didn't get a stick in the in the second innings, but unfortunately, you know, Pakistan lost 3-0. That probably didn't tell the story of that series. Cammy Green's got a double failure here. Again, probably doesn't tell the story of his of his uh test match, having not even been allowed to bat in the second innings, but does go down as as a double failure. So this storyline continues. And the thing with Cammy Green is 
He averages 32 in Test cricket. He's played 25 debuts in a row, and that's fine, okay? Because like I said previously, we've pledged ourselves to his ongoing development. And he averages 32 in Test cricket. And at number six, you're going, that's not quite good enough. You, pro- I want my number six really to be averaging 40. I'm a greedy Australian Test cricket fan. Do you know what I mean? I've seen Mike Hussey bat at six before. I've seen Michael Clark bat at six. So I would like my number six to average 40 in the Test format. But if he was to average 36, you know, whatever. 36, 37, if he just bumps up that average a little bit from 32, 33 to 36, 37, and then you've also got those stats within the context of the fact that he's going to take, you know, one or two poles every now and then. He fields in the gully. He's very tall. Uh, so, you know, and that's that's the full package of Cam Green, and that's really great. But now he's at number four, and number four has to average 40. Really, if I really if I want to be a real cunt about this, and I do, I do want to be a real cunt about this, the number four should be averaging 45. You know what I mean? Steve Smith's been averaging 60 there for the last fucking seven years. Forget about that shit. Steve Waugh, Damian Martin, Mike Hussey, a lot of these guys are averaging 50 for long periods at number four and five. Again, I don't want to screw over poor Cammy too hard here, but it, you've got to be averaging 40 at number four. So double failure in the first test. Again, I know he didn't get a stick in the second innings, but at the end of the day, if you don't get any runs, that's a failure, regardless of if you get on the turf or not. Smith, double failure, 11 not out. Again, mate, that's not really doing it. So the storyline continues. And I'm sorry to be such a little bitch about this, but this Steve Smith-Cam Green thing is really the only interesting thing about the series itself. And... If Steve Smith and Cam Green come out in the first innings of the first test against the West Indies and both get hundreds, then the team is just so set in rock-solid cement that it's like, what's the point of this? You know? we got nothing to talk about if they both get hundreds and just cement those spots. Now, two double failures, technically, go with me on that. I know it's not true. Two double failures, the storyline continues. Will Steve Smith... Have a stint as a test opener. Will Cam Green become the test number four that Nathan Lyon says he is destined to be? I don't know. Okay. If Cammy Green comes out in the second test, knocks up 140 at number four, then that'll be that. Okay. Then that'll be that. And if he fails in both innings, then at least we've got something to talk about heading into the New Zealand series. So we'll see how it goes. Again, at number four, yes, we've got him in the side. But for me, now he, the bar's gone up on what's required from him. So anyway, we've come off a two-day test, and now we're heading to Brisbane for a pink ball test. Lol. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anyway, bit of banter there. What the bloody hell else is going on? The Big Bash final is coming up. Sydney are in it, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I do identify as a Sydney Sixers fan, but I'm not a diehard. I'm a casual. So that's pretty cool for the Sixers. Like I said, I'm announcing some tour dates on Thursday. My Melbourne Comedy Festival and Sydney Comedy Festival shows. I'm actually kind of popular in those cities. So if you want to come along, please book with some urgency. Uh, And that's that dude back on Thursday with the regular pod. 
Bop, bop, bop. Thanks for listening. Way too long, way too long. Yeah, and I can see the ground now, I'm way too long.